the compensation rate part. That's kind of like where my heart lies the most, that content creators will feel more empowered to start asking for more money because I think it's safe to say that as a majority, influencers are charging less than they could be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. I cannot wait for you to dive into this conversation that I just had with Arielle Frank, who is the founder of Clout Collective. She and I talked all about the state of influencer marketing and what we can do as marketers and as influencers or content creators to make it a more fair place to earn what we're worth to offer creators we're working with what they're worth all that good stuff it is a really good conversation we got pretty deep so there's your disclaimer on that But before we hop into that, I just want to take a couple seconds. I know last episode I mentioned to you that I will be launching my membership soon, and that day has come. My membership is officially live and ready for enrollment. So you can go ahead and head over to bit.ly slash LJ membership. It's going to be linked in the show notes. You can also get there from my website, Latasha James, and I'll just, you know, have it linked kind of everywhere for you. But yeah, definitely head over there if you want to read more about it. You can go ahead and join for $10 a month, the price of a couple of cups of coffee. It's going to be a great community for us to hop on masterclasses and group calls together. I have some amazing instructors already lined up and ready to go for the next couple of months to teach you some really cool things. In addition to what I have to share with you, we're going to be sharing content ideas and templates for client onboarding and and contracts and things like that. So I'm really excited to get this thing off the ground. So head over to bit.ly slash LJ membership if you want to learn more. And with that said, I'm going to get into this interview with Arielle Frank. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Today, I am joined by Arielle Frank, who wants to live in a world where every content creator is paid fairly and treated with respect. A year and a half ago, she left Sony Music, where she worked on marketing campaigns for artists like Khalid, Vampire Weekend, and Wyclef Jean to found her own company, Clout Collective. So by facilitating information sharing among influencers, Ariel hopes to bring transparency and higher compensation rates to the creative economy. So welcome to the show, Ariel. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I was lurking on your background actually before, and I didn't realize that you also started in music or that was your first love, kind of. Yes, yes, it kind of was. Um, That used to be my dream to work in the music industry somehow. I come from like a super musical family, so... Yes, I've done I've done a little bit of freelance work for different musicians too. So it's a really cool industry. Oh, cool. I think there's a lot more overlap between music and musicians and influencers than I had first guessed. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Do you want to kick things off just kind of by telling us how you went from this world doing marketing for some amazing artists to, you know, kind of switching things up and starting this career in the influencer space? Yeah, of course. So I knew that I wanted to work in music from probably when I was 14 or 15, but my parents were like, you have to go to college and get a degree, even though everyone was talking like about the journey of like the mailroom to the boardroom. But 
so um, I, my parents made me go to business school, and then I moved to New York right after college, knowing that I wanted to definitely work in music. So I hustled and worked three jobs before I finally landed a full-time job in the industry. And then after two years at an indie label, I was recruited to Sony Music, where I kind of felt like I was selling out to the man, but I got to work with some smaller indie artists right when they were signed, um, which was really cool. But over time, I felt like I was hitting a ceiling and I started to get frustrated because the industry is very slow to adapt and it felt like they were always playing catch up instead of leading the pack. And then when you look at kind of the evolution of music, like change was always pushed forth by tech companies as opposed to the record labels themselves. So I was super ready for change. And we started working with influencers to do marketing campaigns for some of our artists. And we were having a lot of success. This was maybe like 2016. And I was like, this is interesting. And so I started kind of paying more attention to the industry itself and where influencer marketing seemed like it was going. Um, And I noticed that a lot of companies were coming out creating tools and different platforms for brands. Obviously, that's where the money is, but not a lot for influencers themselves. So I decided that I wanted to create something just for influencers to help them sustain their business and grow their business. Um, so I started just, I spent a year and a half basically just cold emailing, DMing, and in Facebook groups for influencers, just trying to be a fly on the wall to really understand what their day-to-day journey looked like since I'm not an influencer myself. That's amazing. So tell the folks out there what Clout Collective is and what you're kind of looking to do with the platform. Yeah. So the thing that I noticed after being a fly on the wall in a lot of conversations among creators was a brand would reach out to a creator. They hadn't, maybe they heard of the brand itself, but they'd never worked with them. They didn't know anyone who had worked with them. So they would go into a Facebook group or whatever it is and be like, Hey, blah, 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 just reached out to me. Has anyone worked with them before? What was your experience? And I noticed that that question popped up almost weekly, mm-hmm. um, either from a point of view of like, what was it like to work with them? Or I've never heard of them. Are they legit kind of thing? So I started thinking about a way to bring more transparency into the whole experience from the influencer side, because I had heard that traditionally influencers were hesitant to share information because they felt like then if they shared pricing information, then another influencer would come and undercut them. Or if they shared their experiences working with a brand they really liked, that then someone would try to replace them and go after working with that brand. So um, I decided to build a kind of a, I think the best way to describe it is like a glass door for content creators and for influencers. So it's a platform that allows content creators to anonymously go on and leave reviews about their experience working with brands and then also to leave a generalized range, a compensation rate range, so that by telling this information, if they signed an NDA, or if they're worried about any sort of confidentiality clause, they're not at risk for sharing that information, because it's just a generalized range. Mm -hmm. But my hope is that by sharing, especially the compensation rate part, that's kind of like where my heart lies the most, that content creators will feel more empowered to start asking for more money because I think it's safe to say that as a majority influencers are charging less than they could be on a whole mm, mm. That, that's refreshing I mean it's troubling to hear but it's refreshing to hear at the same time because I kind of have a little bit of 
both sides of experience. You know, I've done a lot of work in the influencer space, but then I also am a very small micro influencer, I guess you could say content creator myself. So I'm always yeah. like, you guys push for higher rates, just do it. Yes. But, but, yeah. I, but I always hope I'm not giving bad advice because it's like, I don't want people to miss out on opportunities either. Knowing yeah. your worth is so important. So I love that. It's really important. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. And I think like, the problem that I systematically see is that brands look at compensation for influencers from a super one-dimensional level. It used to be like, okay, how big is their follower count? Now they're integrating engagement a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir on this, but it's like, okay, but now you have to factor in like, how much time did it take to create that content, especially if it's video content? Did you have to hire a photographer? How much time do you spend editing that? Like there's so much more that goes into it than just taking a photo and posting. And I think that that's the problem with the way it's being valued right now is they're only accounting for probably like 25% of the overall work that it takes. I do notice a shift a little bit with some of my clients when they want me to do an influencer campaign for them. It used to be we're all about just getting the the reach and the engagements from like the subscriber count or the follower account. And I notice a lot more yeah. brands are concerned with the content. Like they love the user generated content mm-hmm. to populate their feeds, yeah. which right. is another value add to me because I know again, like from Dude. working on the brand side, how much we would pay to get high quality yes. content taken. It's expensive to yeah. hire a photographer. You probably know better than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. I saw on your site this, this, that uh, it said 88% of creators have reported a negative experience working with a brand. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Are there any trends or common issues that you've noticed just from talking to creators have contributed yeah. to that negative experience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it totally runs the gamut, but I would say if I was picking out kind of like consistent trends, I think the three would be their direction and expectations aren't clearly defined Mm. inconsistencies that could be ranging from the inconsistencies influencers experience in terms of just working with the brand. Like every time they work with them, it's a new point of contact or suddenly they are outsourced to a PR agency and then they go back in house. Mm. And then also a disagreement over influencers compensation rates and overall value, which we kind of touched on. But I think that probably like 90% of these issues could be fixed if brands just had very clear written directions and expectations. I don't know if you found that on your end working on the brand side. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I and I think this is really good insight for my audience too, because people who listen to the show, I kind of have a mix of content creators and freelancers who work with brands or want to work with brands on the influencer, you know, on influencer campaigns. And so I think this is amazing yeah. advice for those folks too. Like, One of the things that I always propose if I do have a client who comes to me to do influencer marketing is let me develop what I call like an influencer creative brief. I will lay, yeah, like I'll lay out exactly what deliverables we need or, you know, just lay out Mm -hmm. the campaign in detail so that the, the creator isn't kind of left in the dark. And obviously, creative control is super important. Like, I never want to be (laughs) the type of person who's like do exactly this but having some direction really helps I find of course yeah on both ends Mm -hmm. it's like one the you're saving the brand time because they're not going back and forth 
answering a bunch of questions for the creators because you've already answered probably most of them for them. So that's a big one. And then also it just prevents both sides from being disappointed or frustrated. Yeah. So I have a question because we talked about people not necessarily charging enough. Do you think that there's ever a, a case for working for free as an influencer? Yes, I definitely do. Um, I think there are a few cases. I think one is the obvious one, which is that when you're just starting out, when you're still building your audience, you're still defining who they are, you're still trying to figure out what is the type of content they want to see, what are the brands and different kind of verticals that they relate to. I think then, because you're not 100% sure on the value that you're bringing yet to brands, I think that's a great time to be working for free and trying to figure that stuff out because it's a much more low stakes situation. And I think because in exchange for free product or whatever it is that the expectations are probably slightly lower on the brand side, you're not going to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other part of it is that I think sometimes either free or discounted is if there's a brand that a content creator really wants to work with and they know that that brand does ultimately have a budget to pay for creators, but either they're not at the level that the brand is looking for, or the brand doesn't feel like their audience is a perfect alignment for who the brand is targeting, then that's a great kind of starting point for negotiation. Like if say a creator wanted to work with Neutrogena and Neutrogena pushes back and is like, but I don't know, 70% of your audience is male and doesn't seem to be interested in skincare or beauty. Like that would be a great point to be like, okay, well, what if I offer you 30% of what I would normally charge just so we can kind of do a trial run. It's not so black and white. And then I think the other kind of myth that traps people is that just because you do an unpaid collaboration one time with a brand doesn't mean that you can't go back later on and then negotiate to do a paid campaign with them. Mm. That's that's a really good good tip. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because I feel that way for sure. I'm like guilty of thinking that way of, you know, well, they've already gotten unpaid work from me before. I I can't ask for more even though I've maybe grown right. my audience or, you know, improved my skills right. or whatever the case is. So do you have any advice for that on yeah. kind of going back and making that second ask? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that and I think this is especially true, unfortunately, for women, that sometimes we feel a little guilty or shy or we don't want to come off as pushy. So in that situation, I feel like the best possible thing you can do for yourself is kind of try to remove all of the emotion from it. So if you come at it from a very pragmatic place, like your example was maybe you've grown or you've increased engagement or whatever it is, like if you presented to them with just quantitative stats, like this is where I was before, this is a 10% growth and now I'm here. I think that is a really, it's a more comfortable place to come from, especially if you're a female creator, because people can't argue with statistics, with numbers. And I think also it's probably best if you start asking in low stakes situations because that way if you get a no which you probably will we all get no's Mm -hmm. then you'll be like okay I didn't I didn't really care I wasn't really invested in getting paid from that brand so start getting wins in low stakes situations so you kind of build up your confidence to get to the point where you can go back to maybe your dream brand and renegotiate with them yeah feeling what it feels like to get a no I think it kind of helps you build up that 
thick skin. Exactly. And I mean, this is a really extreme example, but like I was reading a book about alter egos and one of the examples they chose was how earlier on in Beyonce's career, she had the Sasha Fierce like alter ego. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to like, if I had to go out and ask for my friend to get paid a thousand dollars, like I could do it. No problem. Wouldn't blink my eye. But if I had to ask that for myself, I would hesitate. So I also think like, if you're kind of more of an abstract thinker, like maybe try to create like an alter ego business persona for yourself. And when you're doing these pitches, don't even associate it with yourself. Be like, okay, you know, I'm doing this for my quote unquote business client. And like, I know that sounds out there and crazy, but I think there's probably some weird science behind it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that probably speaks to community too, right? Like I know when I'm in these Facebook groups, hearing people say like, no girl, like go, you know, get what you get what you're worth or, you know, ask for more money. I'm like, okay, like other people believe in me. Yeah, right. And like, you don't even know who they are. Right. Like they could have no idea what they're talking about, but you're like, you're right. Yeah. And and that's kind of part of the, the point of Clout Collective too, right? Is to sort of help yeah. bring that transparency specifically about pay. 1000%. Yeah. And again, my vision was that getting to a place where it could be all about like historical data, like, okay, well, this is this is the average payment, like this is um, how much people are paid that were in my niche or with my engagement or based on the content. And then they can go and negotiate, not based on, I feel that I should get paid this and I want to get paid this, but like, these are just the facts and these are kind of the averages to make it easier to negotiate. Yeah. You touched on this a little bit in regards to kind of women asking for more money, but you know, we talk there's such a big debate just in the the world really about the pay gap overall. And then we can break down the freelance pay gap. You know, does a pay gap exist in influencer marketing as well in regards to gender, in regards to race? For sure. Yeah. I mean, this is like the hill that I hope to die on one day (laughs) um, because I feel so passionately about it. There are major discrepancies. Like I'll start with gender because I think it's a little less complicated, but it's like an influencer marketing platform. And they just released a study for oh, easy, for 2020 that said that despite the fact that women make up 87% of all collaborations, that uh, last year in 2019 alone, there was actually an increase in the payment gap between male and female creators Hmm. and that males are earning an average of 56% more per collaboration for females. Hmm. And that's like per collaboration. And if you think of that over the span of a year, say an influencer is doing, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 collaborations a year, like that adds, that compounds very quickly to be like a very, a very decent sized overall gap when when we're looking year to year between males and females. In that same report, they tried to make the argument that, well, there are more female creators. And so you can make the case that males are more in demand. But then you also have to think about the audience. Like, I would assume that most of these brands, especially at the top verticals like beauty and fashion, like their audience is probably predominantly women. So why would they want to engage with male influencers that probably have a more of a male audience not even aligned with who their audience is so I think that's and also the fact just that the gap was much smaller I'm looking it was only 17 percent in 2018 Hmm. so I think like as 
female creators are still figuring it out. And I definitely don't blame them for that. But this is where like information sharing really comes in and empowering other creators. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think it, again, kind of goes back to this feeling that women have like I don't know if you've ever heard that stat it's for like the workforce in general but it's like men will apply for jobs that they're only 60% qualified for whereas women will only apply for jobs that they feel they're 90% or above qualified for yes I think like men aren't afraid to ask for more even knowing that they're not delivering more they just want more and they're not a and societally I think it's much more accepted for a man to come back and counter and women are told to be polite and to like not be too aggressive Mm -hmm. and and like all these kind of things that are at play that I think we don't even realize yeah I agree it's it's such a hard thing because you know I talked to some of my male friends um you know just about the wider pay gap in general and it's like well women don't ask for raises. Women don't. And it's like, you know what? You're right. I've never asked for a raise in yeah. my whole career. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I feel like I'm a pretty like strong, independent woman. But when I was in corporate America, I yeah. never asked for more money. And so yes, I think there's definitely like, a I don't know, a, it's how we're taught to be just oh, like you said, all. we're not yeah. encouraged to be outspoken and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, we also have to maybe play some part in in fixing that or you know getting a little bit uncomfortable yeah. if we want something to change too so it's a tough a tough thing to kind of navigate but you know with the traditional workforce that's what they say is talking about how much money you make like just getting comfortable talking yeah. to your friends about it being open about it with your family yeah. that's one of the biggest ways to sort of gain that confidence so i would definitely imagine a platform like yours is going to do the same thing for this creator economy so that's great yes I hope so I definitely hope so and then on the issue of race I think this one there's a lot more nuances to it the same report said that over the same past five-year period that non-whites have gained 12 percent more market share in terms of um, paid collaborations as a whole which now puts it at 61% white influencers versus 39% non-white influencers. And I, at first I read that and I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like um, I was feeling optimistic about the way that the industry was going, but then I was talking about it with a few other content creators and just asking them their experiences and how they felt about that. And they brought up some really excellent points, which is like, there weren't any details in terms of what these quote unquote non-white influencers looked like like they could have been they could have been choosing people to kind of like check their ethnic box but did they actually look like real people like were they representative of actual normal humans or were they models Mm -hmm. or lighter skinned or ethnically ambiguous like there's so many sides of the coin to that and I think the other side that's like really icky is that I'm sure that that increase in part had to do with brands feeling the pressure to be more quote-unquote diverse or inclusive and therefore again kind of checking the token box Mm -hmm. so I mean I think probably a better indicator would be to asking non-white people of color if they do feel like the paid influencer campaigns that they're seeing are like reflective of 
who they are, if they're representative, if they're real, or if brands have kind of taken a shortcut and started working with quote unquote non-white minorities that still don't look like humans. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, I think this data is going to be awesome and a good place to sort of really take a look at what, what this all means. One of the things that I am collecting in addition to compensation rates is I'm collecting gender, ethnicity, and region because over time I'm hoping to be able to determine like, okay, are there certain brands that when we hold everything else consistent, like they have the same follower count, they have the same niche, they have, they're delivering the same content, like all, how much are compensation rates? varying based on these variables, Mm -hmm. the gender and ethnicity mostly. What about those folks out here listening who work with brands to, you know, cast for influencer campaigns or kind of have any any kind of insight into strategy? What can they do to sort of make sure that their influencer campaigns are diverse and that their brands are willing to pay equal amounts uh, based on these factors? Anything that they can do to influence that? For sure. I think the very first step is just awareness, like being aware of the unconscious biases that might be present in the people or the culture that are overseeing influencer marketing and kind of try to adjust and account for those. I think also trying to create campaigns that are representative and will resonate with communities of color, like specifically, as opposed to being like, oh, we should probably make sure that this campaign is inclusive. It's like, no, it needs, I mean, if it's marketing and if it's truly connecting with people, then it needs to be relatable on a deeper level. So I think considering that. And then I also think that instead of kind of focusing on hiring like an X amount or 10% of diverse influencers, whatever it is, that brands should commit themselves to practices and policies that produce and sustain racial equality. So maybe that means that they're, I mean, traditionally influencers were white, affluent, skinny girls. So to counter that, like maybe you choose someone that really resonates with their audience, but they don't necessarily have a huge following or they don't necessarily have the means to go on these glamorous trips. But that doesn't mean that they have any less influence or that they'll be any less effective for um, reaching your audience. And I think like when we look at different minorities and their spending power, it's like, trillions and trillions of dollars if you just combine I think it was like Hispanics and um, Blacks in America they Mm -hmm. combine I think it's like three trillion dollars in spending power like that's a huge chunk of the audience to not be marketing to or to not be catering to yeah yeah and I I do I think that there's this you know like stereotype that um, diverse communities don't have the spending power whatever it is Um, so therefore it's not worth investing in influencer campaigns or marketing or whatever. And like, this is kind of funny, but my boyfriend and I were talking about it when we're just like, just look at Popeye's, which I know not all of us (laughs) like Popeye's. I'm a vegetarian, but I mean, that campaign took off because of black Twitter. That's literally (laughs) what it was. I mean, (laughs) the most powerful force in America. Yes. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's kind of funny, but I mean, it's true. Um, if you look at so many different things across culture and in pop culture and things that are, are popular, like we're buying it. So don't worry about that. Oh man, deep stuff, but important stuff for sure. Um, (laughs) 
I guess on, on, on the lighter side of things, what, what would you say to creators who are maybe interested in sort of getting a piece of this pie? Number one, do you think it's too late to kind of start influencing or creating? And if not, how can people kind of get started working towards ideally paid collaborations in the future? I absolutely do not think it's too late. I think maybe like it's it's always hard to figure out what are the biases that you think because like you're around people like us, like you're in the creator community or you're in the YouTube community. So you feel like, oh, everyone knows about it. Everyone's doing it. But if you look kind of at the trends, like influencer marketing adopted by bigger companies has only taken place in like the past year or so. And so I think we're not even at like mass adoption, like peak influencer culture. So I think there's absolutely still more time. I think also like a benefit to people that are just starting out is there are a lot of creators out there with really big numbers, whether it's on YouTube or on Instagram, but they kind of came up at exactly the right time when it was really easy to get on the Explorer page when the algorithm was in their favor. And now they don't really know how to continue maintaining and growing like in this new kind of paradigm. So I think like smaller creators definitely do not get discouraged. I think now is as good of time as any, and you'll probably be more informed than the bigger creators about how to grow a community like in present day. I was thinking about your question and I wrote down kind of three benchmarks they should be hitting in order to work towards paid collaborations. Mm -hmm. The first one is treating this like it's a business because it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's probably kind of the biggest myth up I see from creators of all sizes. And it's kind of like it's not their fault because it's like for a lot of people this started as like a hobby or a creative outlet. And then before they knew it, it had become monetized. So they kind of were expected to shift gears from like, Oh, this is what I do because like it's my creative outlet and I love doing it to like, Oh wait, this is a business. Like I can monetize it. But if you make the choice to monetize it, then like, absolutely treat it as a business and if you don't want to do that if you feel like that takes away from the whole reason why you started doing that then like keep them separate but if you're going to go in I'm kind of an all or nothing like go in 100% I think differentiating yourself and knowing what makes you special and what makes your audience special like I think creators should just get the whole idea of like followers completely out of their head because I see creators that have maybe 5,000 followers, but every single post they do has a hundred comments and not just like, you look cute Mm -hmm. or like dope pitch, but like real, like, wow, like, thank you so much for posting this. This made my day. Or I needed to hear this or follow-up questions or conversations. Like to have that special and direct of a connection with your community that they feel like every thing they consume of yours is like a conversation. I think that like the power of that definitely shouldn't be overlooked. So don't focus on your follower count, focus on like what your community looks like, how they activate and what you're doing to cultivate that and why you're special. And then I think um, professionalism kind of like rent treating as a business will go a really long way. One of my mentors is a guy who left Spotify to start an influencer marketing agency and they only do like million dollar deals and up for like major, major brands. Mm-hmm. And so he only works with like top tier, like, you know, huge influencers. And he told me that in this kind of 
in his path, he's been shocked by how many um, quote unquote, like big influencers have zero professionalism, like Mm. don't deliver things on time, don't respond to emails are hard to reach, like don't follow through what they say they're going to follow through. Like, these are all very easy things for people out there to do, but they go a really long way in the eyes of the brands. And I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that working on the brand side. Oh my gosh. Yes. Kind of that <laughs> lack of personalism. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I've experienced both sides for sure. Like working with people who yeah. are super professional. It's like, oh my gosh, you're making my job easier. And I remember yes. you for that. <laughs> so when I have another campaign, you're going to be one of the first people I go to just, just because of that yes. factor. Because I know I'm going to get content from you um, and it's going to be good and you're going to be receptive and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it it definitely can be a challenge. And and on the other side, we definitely also remember when it's like, okay, I have to email you every five minutes and nobody likes to do that. Like for the record, I don't like to annoy creators (laughs) to get their content in. Um, Yeah, of course. No one one wants to do that. And no no one wants to be put in the position where they have to do that. Yep, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I agree. These are very low hanging fruit things. And I think like, just I think a big misconception is like, if someone has a very big following or they're considered quote unquote big, definitely does not necessarily mean that they have business jobs or professional jobs. And so you can come in there as a smaller creator and win huge in the eyes of the brands just by doing like pretty simple things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. And always over deliver. I heard great advice, which was if you're doing a campaign, like before you're agreed upon dates on which the campaign starts, like go the extra mile and like start posting about it ahead of time. Not because you are contractually obligated to, but because like you care and you want to prime your audience and you want the brand to know that you are invested and that you want to deliver for them. Yep. Yep. And that also puts you in like a much more powerful position to negotiate for more money next time. Mm -hmm. I love that. And Another thing that I'll do sometimes when I do a campaign is, you know, if I'm required to post one photo, well, you know, I'm probably taking 10 options just to (laughs) make sure I get the one. If there's a couple of good options, I'll send the other ones to the brand and be like, hey, if you guys want to use these, feel free, you know, to use them on your Instagram or whatever. And then oftentimes it ends up being more promotion for me because they're going to use them and end up tagging me back. So just the little things like that, they do, they make the social media manager or the influencer marketing manager's job so much easier. Yes, that's such a good one. Do you tell people that? That's a great hot tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about kind of what's going on with Cloud Collective. I know that you had your first event a while back. Um, is there anything else like yeah. that that we can expect? Or when can people start joining the platform? Thank you. So have you ever planned an event? Um, yes. <laughs> I'm sure you're like exhausted. Isn't from it, it like the worst? <laughs> it's like the worst and the best thing all in one. Yeah, yeah. Like you hate every moment planning it and then you get to it and you're like oh this is easy this is amazing I should do it again like next month uh-huh, and yep. then yeah yeah so we are holding another event it's going to be based on getting feedback on um, your brand pitches and learning how to negotiate for more money in the LA area in April probably early April but 
In the meantime, we still are looking for more beta testers, which just means that before we take the um, platform public, we are only letting, it's only a private community that people have to log into. But I would love for more people to sign up and test it so you can give me feedback because I want it to be kind of for creators by creators. The more you tell us how it can serve you better, how it can be more helpful, the type of information that you wish we had included that we didn't like that type of thing. And you can just go to thecloutco.com but I'm sure you'll link it mm-hmm. and um, and just hit join waitlist. It's so helpful for me to be able to talk to creators because I'm not one. So anything, any struggle you're having, like any question you're asking, I'm sure that means a million other creators out there asking the same. So that's the short term. And then hopefully I'm trying to launch by um like publicly by the summer or maybe a little earlier. Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited. My last question for you really is, do you have any advice for anybody kind of looking to launch something? Like what has your best takeaways been from sort of building this startup, you know, moving from the traditional working world to building a startup, any good learnings or or tidbits that you've kind of picked up along the way? Yes. And I would love to hear after how they compare to yours, yeah. if you can relate any of them. But um, I think the biggest number one that I would say is just do it. Just take the plunge and do it. Because as we all know, what we see on the, what we see like the curated images and experiences online is definitely not what's actually going on. Like most people when they start have zero clue what they're doing. Um, and we're all just figuring it out along the way. And we're all failing. Before I found my developer for this platform, I had zero technical experience. And I signed what I thought was an amazing opportunity to work with this developer. And the contract was for $40,000. And like, I absolutely don't have $40,000. But I was like, I don't know, like, they're doing a lot. That sounds right. And so I got myself into this really bad situation and I was kind of embarrassed about it but that's why I want to talk about it because like sometimes like most mistakes that you make they're not going to be free they're going to they're going to cost you money but the more mistakes that you make now means the less mistakes you'll probably make in the future so just coming to peace with it that you're gonna not have the answers that you're gonna stumble that you may look dumb at moments but like we all do and I really like talking about like my failures and my missteps because I think it's something that we don't really glorify not glorify but it's it's something that like we kind of gloss over because we just want to talk about like and then suddenly I was a million dollar company but it's like Mm -hmm. that's not how it works Mm -hmm. like the day-to-day is much harder than that and less glamorous for sure and then the other thing that I found probably the most surprising thing was like when I told people I was quitting to start my own company they were like oh that's gonna be hard and I was like I know and like people would always say that to me especially other business owners but I think maybe what they were getting at was that I found that like the mental component is has been infinitely more challenging than any of the actual kind of like business goals that I've been trying to hit in the sense that you work for so long in a vacuum with zero like feedback um, or with zero sense of progress, like building companies, building brands, it takes a very long time. And so in those initial stages, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's rough. Like I had a million times where I was like, no one cares or um, this isn't going anywhere or just different things like that because I wasn't in the place yet to be able to, get feedback. And so I think if you feel truly like in your heart and in your gut that what you're doing is right and that you're on the right track, 
don't get discouraged if you feel like you're just in this vacuum echo chamber of nothingness in the beginning, because it takes a lot longer than I had ever realized to really get to that place. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. That That's amazing advice. I totally agree with you, especially on the first point. I, I think people are sometimes surprised when they ask me for advice and I'm like, I don't say this to be like rude or funny, but I'm honestly like, I don't know. Have you, go- yeah. have you Googled it? Like, <laughs> I, I, believe it or not, I don't know everything or really anything yeah. about building business. I'm Googling things all the time. I just had to Google yes. something about taxes and like, I, I don't know. Yes. There's no book. I mean, yeah. well, there's tons of books. Yeah. I guess that's the problem. I haven't read them all. Right. So, I know that is the problem. There's too much info. Yeah. I mean, I'm and honestly, like I trust someone a 70 million times more that says, I don't know mm-hmm. if they don't know than someone that like is trying to make it seem like they have all the answers because like truly no one has all the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my mentors recently um, just about, you know, like the coaching work that I do. And she's like, you know, your mm-hmm. job as a coach is not to it's not to give people every single answer because you don't know every single answer. Your job is to build, help develop CEOs who look to other people for the answers or know how to research the answers and know how to ask for help and hire the right people and all of that. So yeah, I totally agree. We we don't know everything. Even the most successful people in the world don't. You have to know when to ask for help and know when to to research and, and all that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, I had an old, um, my old boss at Sony, actually, he was amazing. And he, and he like used to brag all the time. He was like, oh yeah, like my team, my employees are a lot smarter than I am, mm-hmm. but like, I'm smart enough to hire people smarter than me. Yes. And I was like, wait a minute, that's actually genius. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's how you do it for sure. Well, I am seriously so excited to kind of see what this goes I know it's going to be amazing and just I'm super excited that we connected I'm going to be continuing to follow (laughs) along with your journey yeah so yeah so I think we kind of talked about it briefly but do you want to let everyone know where they can find Clout Collective where they can find you and and learn more about the platform yes our website is probably the best place to learn um just kind of the gist of it it's thecloutco.com and then on Instagram I do try to post on there decently and always like helpful advice which is just at clout.collective awesome and I'll I'll link those in the show notes as well of course so amazing okay perfect cool well thank you so much for for joining us today and yeah I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon yes you will thank you so much I'm Latasha James, and that's it for this episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to review it on iTunes or share it with a friend. This podcast is all about community, so you can also go ahead and head over to the Facebook group. It's called the Freelance Friday podcast community, or follow me on social. My handle is the Latasha James across all platforms. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. And like I said, feel free to share it with a friend, tag a friend, screenshot the episode and tag a friend. It really helps us grow this community. And my goal is to help as many people through this collective community become better freelancers and more empowered freelancers. So that's it for the episode. I'll talk to you in the next one. It airs every single Friday. I'll talk to you again then.